There's a major college football head coaching vacancy along the Brazos River. No, try again. This is Locked on Baylor. You are Locked on Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Bayward, brought to you today by Game Time. Thank you for making it your first listen today and every day. I'm your host, Cam Stewart. We are talking about still Baylor's horrific loss to Kansas State on Saturday on the gridiron. We're also going to break down a little bit of the basketball game last night against Gardner-Webb, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a glowing example of what this team could and probably should be, but that's coming up later in the show. First, we got we still got to talk about football. And I apologize for that, but I know you guys want to talk about it too. So, obviously, it's still a bit of a mixed reaction um, from Saturday's game. All negative, um, but the mixed reaction being, from what I've heard, not only just from the comments, but also with people, friends that I went to school with who still follow the team and things like that, I used the word embarrassed quite a bit on Saturday. And I did hear some people pushing back on that to say it was – it wasn't embarrassing because it was expected. And I say, well, A, both of those things can be true. Let me use this example at you. Um, my parents could still be embarrassed of me. I don't think that's true, by the way. But let's just play it out. My parents could still be embarrassed of me, but can they be surprised? No, I went to college to get a communications degree. Things like that. <laughs> I love that example. but. I expected Baylor to lose. I expected Baylor to lose comfortably on Saturday, but they, A, lost by, what, 40 points. They scored a touchdown in the final minute. Sorry. So it ends up only being 34 points. And B, I did, for some reason, stupidly expect a little bit more effort, a little bit more focus, a little bit more balls for a team that was staring down the barrel of not making a bowl game and they didn't. And I should have known that it was the same thing we've seen all season. Um, it, and, and I think this game wasn't so much effort so much as it was that lack of focus and making stupid mistakes. Because again, we went through the numbers yesterday and, and I'll, I'll go through them again pretty quickly. I won't go through all of them, but you look at the numbers in this game and it looks pretty even. Now Kansas state does get a hundred 19 more yards of total offense, but pass yards are about even. They took 100 more yards on the ground, but that's how you get to the 119 yard difference in total offense. But penalties are pretty much the same. First downs are the same. Third down conversions are roughly the same. Um, average yards per play isn't all that different. Total plays, Baylor runs 11 more. Um, they have more of the ball than Kansas State does. Uh, red zone, both teams are perfect. Baylor three of three, Kansas State six of six. But again, here's where it comes down. Here, here's what it comes down to. Zero turnovers for Kansas State, four turnovers for Baylor. Bang, we're done. We're done right there, let alone the fact that it's four turnovers with 21 points off those turnovers for Kansas State. We're done. We're done. That's it. That's it. You don't win any conference game. You win, barely win any games when you have four turnovers. You never beat anybody when you're minus four in the turnover margin. And you definitely don't beat anybody when they're getting 21 points off it, let alone a game against a ranked team in the conference on the road. Never going to happen. 
Never. And it didn't even come close to happening. So, you know, Will Howard, pedestrian day, 19 to 29, 235 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. That's, that's good. That's good. Doesn't seem like 59 points good, but when you're facing a Baylor team that turns the ball over four times, that's that's what's going to happen. And he ends up setting the Kansas State all-time touchdown record. Good for him. Um, and it made me look deeper into the numbers for the whole season, which, again, are not surprising. But I want to put you through this purview of what if I told you these numbers at the beginning of the season? I think expectations for this team were fairly mixed. Um that said, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be this bad. I don't think most fans didn't think they were going to miss a bowl game. Um, I think what I mean mixed would be, you know, some people thinking the six and six, seven, five, other people thinking nine and three. You know, no one really thinking eleven and one, no one thinking four and eight. Um, and most years in the Big Twelve, this would be a no wins on the schedule kind of year. Um, but the bottom half, the bottom quarter of the conference is that bad this year. So let's look at some of the numbers. Red zone offense, 107 in the nation. I should I should put this out there because you'll see a lot of triple digits in here. This is out of 133 FBS teams. Red zone offense is 107. Red zone defense is better than I thought. Only 54th. <laughs> Only 54th. This one jumped off the page at me, but I'm not too surprised. Not too surprised by it, but just how bad it was and who they were behind jumped out to me. Tackles for loss allowed. Okay, think of all the negative plays you see from Baylor. The screen plays that don't work out, the rushing plays that go nowhere, the sacks. Tackles for loss allowed. Baylor is 115th in the nation. 115 at 7.4 per game. Seven negative plays each game just off the bat. This this is a schedule that had Texas State, that had Long Island, and Cincinnati. Who's that bad? Seven a game. Think about that. Think of how many times you are actively hurting yourself. Seven times a game. That's behind such, such powerhouses as Tulsa, Ball State, East Carolina, and UMass. That's the University of Massachusetts. One of the worst teams in power, or in, not in Power 5, in all of FBS the last decade since they made the move. And East Carolina this year is horrendous. You're behind them in terms of negative plays from your offense. One thing I've been toting, um, or touting, I should say, um, the last few weeks is a bright spot in not that they were great or anything, but the passing defense. You know, you got you got young guys in the secondary there who I thought had played pretty well. But you look at the numbers, especially after yesterday, Saturday, excuse me, passing efficiency defense. Again, out of 133, Baylor is 108th. The spots 100 and 133 should be reserved for group of five teams. I know it's not, but in terms of the quality of players you're bringing in, that should all be group of five teams. And what it is, is a group of five teams and the very worst power five teams, which Baylor is 108th behind Western Michigan, Old Dominion, and Hawaii. Whew, gosh, scoring offense in general, just scoring offense, 95th. 
95th. That's Kevin Steele stuff. Not Kevin Steele, the coordinator, because he's pretty good at that. Kevin Steele, the head coach. Run offense, 112th in the nation. This, this One of the things we were just touting as the absolute zenith position group for Baylor this year, Dominic Richardson and Richard Reese, they're 112th. And you know what? I had this thought in the game Saturday. I thought I've watched pretty much every snap of every game. Has Dominic Richardson been bad? Dawson Pendergraft, has he been bad? Even Richard Reese, has he been bad? And it's like, eh, kind of, but really it's everything else around them. It's no threat in the passing game. It's a terrible offensive line, and it's being behind in every game. That's more, I think, what it goes down to. And the rush defense is not much worse. 117th in the nation. Can't run the ball, can't stop the run. We've been saying that for, I don't know, this is week, what, 10, 10th game. So we've been probably saying that for seven of them. Like, until we realized that this was really, really an issue here. It's a bad team, man. But you already knew that. We're going to talk about some of the coaching moves around college football, what else could be on the horizon, and how that could, could, and I think will, whether we see it or not, um, affect Baylor in these next few weeks here. But first, I got to tell you about my friends at Game Time, a sponsor of today's video. And I'm going through it now. I, I actually looked at this the other day. I was looking at that Baylor-Duke game in Madison Square Garden on December 20th. Look, I know it's tough. New York City, five days before Christmas. But I'm going home to Massachusetts. I'm like, we're going to make this work. My dad went to Duke. He named me after the stadium. I was a huge Duke fan growing up. Now I'm Baylor through and through. Let's make this work. And I go in to this other website. I don't know why I did that. Uh, because it said there was ones that were relatively cheap, like under a hundred bucks. And I was like, heck yeah, let's do this until I get to the checkout page and the fees put them up almost a hundred dollars more than they were listed on, on their website. And I said, whether you like the first ticket price or not, game time is the one you got to go to. It's got to be game time because they are not giving you that crap. They're not giving you all the hidden fees. They're showing you where all the, where all the seats are in there. I mean, you're going to see the view from your seats before you hit that purchase button so you're never caught off guard. And that's what I love about game time. It is the easiest way to buy tickets, and it gives you the peace of mind because I'm not going to lie to you. I got the hope from that other website, and it was dashed down, and that is worse than not ever having the hope of what these actual game tickets are. So if you know a guy, please let me know um, who already bought their tickets from game time. Game time is the place to go. Take the guesswork out of buying the tickets. You download the app. Create an account. Use code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is going to the Game Time app. Redeem the code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Terms do apply with that. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Okay, so of course the big news out of college football yesterday. There is, like I said in the open, there is a head coaching vacancy at a major college football program here in Texas, right on the banks of the Brazos River. And it's not Baylor. The Texas A&M Aggies are letting Jimbo walk out the door, which is good, which is good. And it shows me a couple of things about 
the Baylor situation that it is right now. So first and foremost, we'll get it out of the way. A&M overall is, is a more attractive job than Baylor. Absolutely. Um, they've got a lot more money than Baylor does. I think Baylor plays poor a little too much, but A&M has endless, endless bank accounts, right? Um, Biggest buyout in history, 76 million bucks for him not to coach there. It just feels like if they can get 76, you can get, what is it, 12 for Aranda? I, it feels like that, right? And with that, one of the things I brought up in the post game, and I'll get more into that the next few days, next few weeks about these coaching candidates, if it indeed is the last two games of the Dave Aranda era coming up, is the buyout is one thing, but then you got to pay for another head coach, right? AM is going to have to do that. They're going to have to pay 76 million bucks and then give someone a comparable contract to go there. And so I think with the Baylor situation, if it's $12 million to buy him out, how are you paying for the next coach? And that's why I think of those coordinator names that I brought up. Look, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go the coordinator route either. I don't. And I know the names you're going to bring up. Kevin Steele and Dave Aranda versus the last two full-time coaches you hired that were already head coaches, Matt Rule and Art Bryles, pretty successful guys. So I do feel just in my gut that you got to go head coach after what we've seen here, but with the money, how competitive can you be? For a guy like Jeff Trailer, who got a pretty, pretty sweet deal at UTSA, he's getting paid all right and turned down um, – what um, a the kind of contract that Baylor could offer from Texas Tech. Um, you know, if, if Baylor's out of money, I think Tulane will be able to put up some money to keep Willie Fritz. I think Texas State will be able to put up some money to keep G.J. Kinney there, and G.J. Kinney, in order to wait around and say, hey, next year, if I go to bowling with these guys again or we compete for the conference championship, I'm looking at... Uh, you know, obviously this won't be it, but an AM type job rather than a Baylor type job. So that's that's kind of the things I was thinking about with the buyout. And the other thing, too, of course, is that is another school, another program ahead of Baylor in the pecking order that is already on the coaching search. Michigan State and AM comfortably, both better jobs than Baylor, both have vacancies. And the more those add up, the tougher it becomes for Baylor. Now, the saving grace, the silver lining here is A&M probably has their guy. Probably has their guy in Mike Elko, who was obviously an assistant under Jimbo, um, has been terrific at Duke, even though they they lost the heartbreaker to Carolina on Saturday. Um, but I think a nine-win season last year, um, and they're a team that's going bowling again. Uh, that's in the top half of the ACC, even with that loss. So anyway, he's done a real good job at, at Duke. And I think that's a guy um, you bring in at AM. Now that said, crazier things have happened. What if the first option doesn't go to if if the first option doesn't go there, Mike Elko? Because then realistically, you're thinking about Jeff Trailer is the next guy who I think needs to be at the top of Baylor's list. And that's one that if, if it's going to come down to a pissing contest between Baylor and Texas A&M for Jeff Trailer, Baylor's not winning that one. They're not. And I, I will say this, I will preface this, because A&M is, is such a weird one to diagnose, because in theory, yes, it should be Elko. But A, 
you're going to have to give, again, a comparable contract. You know, it's not going to be the same buyout. It's not going to be the same salary as someone like Jimbo Fisher, but it's going to be a big salary because they're going to back AM into a corner there. And secondly, I think back to who had the job before, Jimbo Fisher. It's, it's tough to remember now, but this was coming off, you know, a couple of years of Jameis, a national championship, um, a real good run at Florida State for Jimbo Fisher. And it was kind of like Kim Mulkey going to LSU. Everyone was like, really? He's giving that up. He's got an awesome gig at Florida State. He has a chance to win the conference every year. This is beginning of Clemson's rise. Um, Like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And so you got to wonder, is A&M going to pull that off again? Are they going to pull someone like, I don't know, a, a Dan Lanning or, or or someone like that or a, a Lincoln Riley? We know he could jump ship. Is, is something like that going to get pulled out of the bag? I don't know. But having two teams that are ahead of you, two programs that are ahead of you in the pecking order, already have their vacancies and already out on the phone scheduling interviews is not good. Is not good for Baylor. And another thing to take from this is A&M, for as much as we meme them and they've deserved it, they acted like a serious football program here. It's I know it's not the same situation as Baylor financially, but just the thought process of this is not where we're, we need to be. This is not where we need to go. This is not where we need to be right now. And the last few years haven't been what they should have been. We need to compete with the big boys. And we are going to cut out of this situation right now. We're not waiting around. We're going to find our guy because we're a a real serious football program. And yes, they don't have to worry about money the same way Baylor does. But again, I, I don't think the buyout is too unreasonable for Baylor. If they're a serious athletic department and we're going to pour the resources into this athletic department and specifically, of course, this football team to raise the profile of our university, this is an eye-opener. This is how a program does it. And I just wonder if Baylor's just going to be left sitting on their hands here when, when they're hiring Jeff Trailer and G.J. Kinney says, oh, no, you know what? I'll wait another year. <laughs> I'll wait. You know, I, I'll wait another year here at Texas State. I'll take them to a 10-win season next year, and I'm going to go to Florida or UCLA. Because that's really possible. It it really is. Or Mississippi State or whatever. It's possible. Or, by the way, by the way, if... Let's just play out the scenario. Let's say Jeff Traylor does get hired at AM And he announces it by the end of the month. And Baylor's still sitting pat. And they're going to wait till after the bowl game, which would obviously be egregious. Traylor goes to AM. UTSA's first call is to G.J. Kinney. And obviously Baylor is a is a is a better program overall and it's a better job, but they might beat you to the punch. Anyway, that's what that means for Baylor is that there's another school, another program in the pecking order, uh, higher in the pecking order than you are, that has a vacancy that's already getting on the phone and financially can attract anyone in the nation. So take that as you will. Will Dave Aranda be their next defensive coordinator at AM? Maybe. I think he might be at USC, though. (laughs) Alex Grinch out the door. Lincoln needs an experienced guy in there. A guy who gives him fits defensively. The guy who almost single-handedly made him leave the Big 12. 
yeah, maybe they, maybe they, uh, maybe they hire that guy. Maybe we'll see. Now we spend a lot of time talking together. You, you and I, we get fired up together. We pound our heads into the brick wall together after the losses, who starts, who sits, who should be fired, who shouldn't, all that. I'm thankful for that connection that we have. And today, I want our chat to be a little more personal. I just learned that you can get a one-year supply on ED medications. You realize what that means? Bring on extended travel. Bring on whatever that next natural disaster or supply chain issue is. You are covered, my friend. You don't have to worry about whether or not you can refill your generics for Cialis, Viagra, or Revatio prescription. And this is possible because of our friends and our sponsor of today's video, Jace Medical. Go online right now at jacemedical.com and receive your 12-month supply on your daily medication. Remember to use the promo code Locked On at checkout for a discount as well. One of their customers said this about Jace. I am thankful for this service. I want to read this word for word because it's important. I'm thankful for this service. Supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half to just to have it. I ordered most of my daily meds with a year supply. I, I also ordered the antibiotic kit, and now I feel secure. Prices are lower than my local pharmacies, and I highly recommend this for everyone. Listen up. If you or someone you love would get some peace of mind by having a year supply of any daily med, go to jacemedical.com to see if that is available for you. Just use the promo code Locked On for $20 off your purchase. Can't put a price tag on peace of mind. Thanks to our friends at Jace Medical. Basketball. Baylor played that yesterday at the Farrell Center against your favorite team, my favorite team, the running Bulldogs of Gardner-Webb University. First one in the chat to tell me what state Gardner-Webb is in gets a free prize. My respect. It was not that great. It was not great. Baylor ends up winning the game by 15. They pull away in the last 10 minutes of the game. Um, overall, just defensively, they were they left a lot to be desired there. Um, there was a lot of room to grow, especially on the inside. Now, Eve Meese does set his career high <laughs> in his third game for blocks with five. Um, he's special. He's still special. Um, both ends of the floor. Now, he wants to block everything, which isn't always a great thing because he is up in the air a lot, a lot. Not a good thing for two reasons. A, of course, it if you're just jumping all over the place when it's not necessary, you are raising uh, the chances of you getting injured, first off. Second off, more experienced teams are going to get him up in the air. They're going to get him in foul trouble. And the guy behind him, Josh Ojanwuna, who did play well today, also had four fouls yet again. He's always going to be in foul trouble. And your third center, who was your starter for the first two games, Jonathan Chamochachua, did not play today, yesterday, <laughs> at all. Didn't see the floor. He was dressed. He had sweatpants on um, with, the, with the basketball top, his jersey on, and did not play. I am concerned, obviously, mostly at his play, not just the fact that he didn't play. I'm wondering if he will last the season as a player on the roster. Um, we've seen guys in the past who just can't come back from it quite well enough, and they end up hanging them up. Tristan Clark is the name that comes to mind. Now, he did end up playing at SMU, but um, it happens, and you can't you can't blame him for that, and um, I'm sure it's something he's thinking through every day. But 
you more experienced teams will expose that from Baylor. Um, and Josh O and Eve Misi have the chance to be elite, like some of the elite rim protectors in the nation in this sport. Um, and it just hasn't gotten there yet. It hasn't gotten there yet. I, I can't be the guy who's going to rip them apart for defense while also being the guy who a week ago said before game one, hey, it might take some time for this defense to come around. It might take some time for this defense to come around. We've already seen more positives than we did last year. And Gardner-Webb did play pretty similarly the way to the way Auburn did um, in terms of pushing the tempo. Now, they didn't shoot the ball the way Auburn did. Uh, I think there were two combined three-pointers made in this game. That's the big story here. Gardner-Webb made both of them. This was the first time in 1,032 games for Baylor basketball that they did not hit a three-pointer. That is incredible. Incredible. So this is why I think last year, even though this was a 15-point game this year, last year the defense wasn't good for Baylor either, but you might have seen them win by 23 because even on a bad game, they'd hit you know, 10 threes. So... You didn't have any today, any. I, I never thought we'd see that again in, in basketball, even in college basketball, which amazingly has evolved really similarly to the way the NBA did in about 2015 when that Steph Curry Warriors team started taking over in terms of the importance of the three-point shot. They were not far behind in college basketball at all. Um, that's just the way the game is played today. And that was not the case for Baylor. They did not hit a single three. And trying to pull up the uh, the final stats on there, yeah, 0 for 9 from three in a 77-62 win. Now, Eve Misi, good overall day. He um, ends up 5 for 8 from the floor, uh, one of two field goals, only two, or excuse me, free throws, and only two personal fouls on the day. And I say only two. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but... It does make me wonder about the physicality he's going to bring later in the season. That's something he's he's just going to learn about. Um, and one thing I, I made a note of, Eve Misi on the fourth block of the game was with 12.50 left, okay? And it was 48-48. They were really struggling. Uh, they were up three, I think, at the half, uh, maybe six. I don't know. Um, but it was nip and tuck back and forth. Gardner-Webb was hanging in there and had leads at a few of these media timeouts in the second half. But... Baylor goes on to win the game 77-62. Again, that was at 48-48. Eve Misi gets a big block. Ray J. Dennis is a beautiful layup in transition. So after that, Baylor goes 29-14 to and wins the game. So that was clearly a lift. Again, 12-50 left to go in the, in, the, in the game. That was the lift. Now, I do want to talk about Ray J. Dennis a little bit um, because I really like his game overall. I, I, I really do. Um, I think he gives you such a plus offensively, um, both with the way he finds guys and with his scoring ability. He's a guy who can get to the paint. Um, they have a couple of guards who can who can really get to the paint. And I, I just overall, before I get to what I'm getting to, he is going to be a plus player offensively. That said, I still think he's playing a little fast, a little just out of sync. He had four assists today, but he also had four turnovers. And I used the Michael Scott meme on Twitter, and I do believe this. I just think there's times where he gets downhill or he's up in the air, and he just thinks he's going to find something, and he doesn't. 
you know, and, and that's what I mean. I think he's just playing a little bit too fast. I think he's a real good facilitator. He is a good penetrator and he's a pretty decent shooter as well. I think he is such a plus player for them offensively, but it's every night he's given the ball away four or five in, in the case of the first game, seven times, which is significantly higher than his worst season in college, which was, I think I had posted it the other day. I think it was 2.3 turnovers a game is his worst for a season. And he's living at around four or five in the first three games this year. So I am a little concerned about that because you do have that uh, Thanksgiving tournament in two weeks, which is going to feature some good teams on there. And, and, you know, you obviously you you have Duke in there in, in December, you've got some good matchups before you get into conference play. So overall, am I changing any the, the way I feel about Baylor basketball this year? It's a, a little more apprehensive after this game against Gardner Webb because I just thought they were sleepwalking through it. The first the the John Brown game, it was a it was a quick turnover time wise. Um, what was it? Wednesday morning, basically. You get in at three in the morning, three thirty in the morning, get off the plane, and then you're playing twenty thirty one hours later. Uh, which is just not a lot of time after your very first game of the season to recover. Um, I I do love the makeup of this team. I, I think this is going to be one of the best starting fives in the nation. And I, I just think it's so well-rounded that that facilitator who can score like Ray J. Dennis, a, a lockdown perimeter guard and Jaden Nunn, a unicorn in the middle and Eve Nisi, Jacoby Walter, who was barely heard, barely heard from today. I put that in air quotes because he did lead the team in points uh, with 18 and didn't, I didn't think had a great game and Jalen Bridges. We know what he can do. So I think this is a really legit starting five. I'm just waiting to see more of these pieces come together. And that's why I guess why we have the preseason, the pre-conference season. Um, But I think this is going to be a really fun team to watch. And one guy I want to shout out today, D'Antoine Grimes. If I got this right and, and I can't see how, I can only see how much they played, but I think D'Antoine Grimes came in with about nine minutes left. And I think it was his first time coming into the game. If he did before that, it was for like 30 seconds. But if I'm right, he sits for 30 plus minutes, comes in for the last nine and plays the last nine. And that's when Bay were pulled away. And he only has two buckets, but they're two real nice drives. He made some good plays. He, he played well defensively on the perimeter. And he's one of the guys who's out there when Baylor takes control of this game. And it's a weird five that are out there. Um, it's Antoine Grimes. It's uh, it's Langston Love. And by the way, I got to shout out Langston Love. I got to. I didn't think he was great in the first game against Auburn. And I thought, man, what is he going to be? He can, he can absolutely be a microwave guy off the bench for Baylor. I absolutely think that. I know the level of competition. The last two games are not nearly near what they are going to see in the conference schedule. But we've seen this in flashes before. We just need to see it more consistently. I think Langston Love is going to be a big-time player off the bench for the Bears this year. I think he's got the speed, um, which I didn't think he had in game one, um, but he could be a real important two-way player for you. Anyway, I'm over time. We are going to have another show tomorrow. It's TCU week. I know I can't feel the vigor with it either, but we're going to talk about it. Um, TCU week, the battle of the mids. Uh, one might be going to a bowl game. One is not, but it's a rivalry either way. Throw the records out the window. Thank God for that. Thank you for making it your first listen today and every day. I really appreciate you guys. This has been Locked on Baylor.